0: In My Experience is a new podcast series by the UCD Humanities Institute, which aims to explore a wide range of political, social and cultural issues. In the first podcast, we hear the director of the Institute, Professor Anna Fuchs, in conversation with the German ambassador to Ireland, Her Excellency, Deike Potzel, as they discuss the experience of German unification in East and West Germany in my experience, adopts a reflective format to explore the feeling of 1989, 30 years after the German unification, and to examine shifting attitudes to German unity from East and West Germans.
1: First of all, Ambassador, I'd like to thank you for participating in our new podcast series, Now you were born in East Berlin and you grew up in the GDR, the German Democratic Republic, a state which existed from 1949 to 1990. So that's a long time ago. And uh, for many of our listeners, uh, the GDR signifies very little. So could we perhaps start our conversation with you briefly sketching your experience of growing up there? What was it like?
2: Well, thank you, first of all, uh, very much for having me, um, for reaching out to do this. Um, I'm very glad to be with you. And thank you also for that um, question. Um, On the one hand, growing up in East Germany was kind of really very normal. You know, I went to school. uh, My parents had a semi-D house. um, I had dancing lessons in the afternoons. Um, My parents were members of a sailing club, so we spent all the weekends at this wonderful lake in the middle of Berlin, sailing. Um, I had friends when I was a teenager, we went to discos and went dancing, we had cinemas, Uh, we went to the theatre, we had enough to eat, we had enough food, we went on holidays, um, uh, albeit mainly in the socialist countries at the time or in East Germany. So, in a sense, it was um, a very normal life, but then, on the other hand, it was indeed not normal at all because there was this constant um sort of what we said uh talking with two tongues you know you know, had to learn from when you were very young where to say what you had to be very careful the political say, uh, situation was one of intense pressure um, you you really needed to differentiate whom to confine and, and whom not to who to trust, whom not to trust, and you learned that like really, when you were a very, very small child, um, like just to give you one example um, my when I was four years old, uh, a lady came along the street, I was sitting um, at the fence of our our garden. And she uh, asked me about a neighbor and I told her something that they have West German money or something. I don't know how um, that came about. Anyways, a couple of days later, my parents kind of found out about it, apparently, and they set me down. And I was four years old and I still haven't forgotten it. And they told me um, in in, in very concerned words uh, that I have to be very, very careful uh, what to talk about with other people. So, and that is kind of the spirit you grew up in, uh, you know, and you had to hide the things that you watched on television, the things that you um, uh, listened to on the radio um, and in schools, so you had to be very careful. So um, obviously we didn't enjoy, that's putting it in a nutshell, I suppose, all the, the liberties and the freedoms that we um, in, in Europe nowadays take for granted, you know, freedom of expression of speech of um, even of traveling, of course, of assembly, you know, all the things that we nowadays take for granted. So that was uh, what then I think also led to the big changes in the, at the end of 89.
1: Listening to you, I was thinking that you seem to point to kind of a sharp division between an official self and a private sphere. Uh, and of course, there was an interface between these two fears, I imagine, but nevertheless, one had to be very careful when one moved from one sphere into the next. And this reminds me of uh, the sociologist Stefan Mao's observation that actually the GDR was defined by a niche, a niche society that kind of it housed all these different private niches. Could you could you perhaps elaborate and explain this to us a bit more?
2: No, I think he was absolutely right in describing it that way. Um, You felt secure in your niche. Now, later on, when the wall fell, it turned out, and people got access to their STASI files, right? Um, the secret police files, it turned out that very often also those niches weren't secure. But at the time you felt secure in your family with your closest friends, and, and and there um, a lot was possible also in terms of criticism towards the regime and all that. But like, as I said, we were a member of a sailing club now in East Germany. That was very different. It wasn't like for the high class. It was a very mixed group. It was organized by one of the, the companies in, in East Germany. So it was like a workers kind of club. And um, there were lots of different people, but... You knew there again whom to trust, like the ladies, they would sit at the um, at the lawn um, with the West German newspapers or magazines, rather uh, glossy magazines wrapped in an East German uh, daily newspaper, the Neues Deutschland, you know, which was 100 uh, percent communist kind of, you know, um, and in line with the state um, in order not certain people not to see what they were actually reading. We were very careful about tuning down the radio when certain people were circling uh, around in in that club um, so that they would not hear that we are listening to West German radio and stuff like that. So you knew exactly or you thought you knew exactly whom to trust and where you could behave in that or that way. Um, So, yeah, it it was uh, definitely um, a country of niches. And I think we'll come
1: back to uh, some of these points later on, but perhaps we could move on to talk more about 1989, which was surely one of the most turbulent years in your biography. Uh, And of course, globally, it led to the collapse of the Eastern Bloc as we knew it.
0: In the 1980s, the GDR was economically and politically on its knees. It was run by a hardline communist leadership, which was out of touch with large sections of the population. In August 1989, the Hungarian-Austrian border opened and thousands of East Germans opted to pack their bags and leave. Meanwhile, back in the GDR, the peaceful revolution was gathering pace. Leipzig was the epicentre of the democracy movement. Every Monday, large demonstrations took place, with people chanting «Wir sind das Volk!» We are the people. They were not deterred by rumors that a military crackdown was imminent. So it was a pressure cooker.
2: It was an extremely exciting time. Uh, You could feel change coming in like 88, 89, very slowly, gradually. Um, In 89, a lot of people started fleeing from the east Going to Hungary, to to uh, uh, also to the Czech Republic and all that. So you could see things changing. A lot of uh, let's say discussions were pro- possible also at university where I was, for instance, which wouldn't have been possible before. So there was a, it, you could feel there's something is going on and and there is movement here and there. Uh, but then again, the fall of the actual fall of the wall. Um, that day on the 9th of November came really as a big surprise. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, I still remember like five days before we were at Alexanderplatz for that big demonstration, 500,000 people there um, advocating um, and demonstrating for what we then called the third way, an alternative way to how this East Germany could be organized and what we wanted as citizens. Um, But then the fall of the war was just... um, just an enormous earthquake, I think, for all of us. Um, Mainly that night, everybody was just so enthusiastic about it. Um, And I was in Berlin um, and I learned about it um, when I came home from a concert where I was that night uh, and then immediately stepped into the car with my then boyfriend and we drove to the border and then crossed the border. Uh, and, uh, And so there was a lot of jubilation and, Uh, and joy, just pure joy. Um, And the time afterwards, of course, was marked by, well, getting to know the new system, kind of, and and kind of trying to adjust to the new situation uh, and just finding your way around things. It was uh, not easy. I was
1: thinking about this often forgotten interregnum between the fall of the wall and the uh, Unification Treaty on the 3rd of October, 1990. So there was this brief period of transition Um, And I was wondering, could you perhaps illustrate the mental adaptations that the majority of East Germans had to undergo in order to cope with the advent of a liberal market economy?
2: Yeah, um, I mean, you have to uh, understand that the system completely changed in like every aspect of life. Um, And it starts with like, you know, little things like going to a supermarket and suddenly you realize, oh, there's not only one type of butter, but suddenly you have like 20 types of butter and you have no idea which one is what. So this kind of orientation in daily life, but like also on a bigger scale, you know, many um, jobs were lost within a couple of months, hundreds of thousands of people lost their jobs, a lot of women, like all women in East Germany worked, every single one of them um they lost their jobs they very often worked like for instance in textile industry so all those jobs were gone within months so how to adapt to that so you know i mean on the one hand you suddenly can buy everything you want because the shops are full of the stuff that you've only seen on television on the other hand then you realize i don't have the money for it anymore uh, because things are changing so rapidly so there was a big um kind of um uh, joy when uh, the the um, sort of uh, the, the, we they introduced the West German mark, but then people also realized, you know, I mean, they, it's not so easy um, as they as they imagined. Also, um, a lot of um, sort of um, professional backgrounds weren't needed anymore. Professional education uh, wasn't needed anymore. Their jobs, you know, I mean, because for a lot uh, in a, in a lot of areas um, and a lot of branches uh west germany was more advanced uh, and so what people had learned you know um they 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 wouldn't be needed in a west german context anymore so um also um a lot of west german managers were brought in and that also changed like the social fabric at work um and so it it i think for a lot of people it wasn't uh very easy to adjust to it also because suddenly you were responsible for yourself mm-hmm. and for determining your way in life. Whereas in East Germany, uh, most of the things were regulated and organized for you. Right. So when I was uh, applying for university, basically, I was lucky to kind of end up with uh, a study that I actually like to do. But a lot of people were just, you know, given something that they had to study um or um also profession wise it wasn't just like i pick this and then i get it you know i mean there was a a regulation and also you were then attributed a job somewhere so it's not like here in the west where you apply with i don't know 20 um 20 employers and then you get something that you really like so it was all organized for you there was no unemployment even though you know um, i mean i think we had three people for one job sometimes um but there was no unemployment and then as i say this to learn how to basically be responsible for your own self and for how you shape your life and what you do with it, I think was uh, a major game changer for a lot of people in the East.
1: It seems to me, looking back myself, that the conversation between West Germans and East Germans was often very asymmetrical and that East Germans um, often felt that they were being talked
2: down at Um, Is this something that you experienced yourself? Um, I think I was very lucky uh, because uh, I very early on, like in 1990, hang on, 1990. Yeah. I already in September set off to go to Britain for a year as a teaching assistant. I then came back um, and uh, finished my studies and then quite rapidly moved to Bonn. But uh, I, I, I very strikingly remember one example where we went with that diplomatic group uh, which consisted of 74 people only 10 of which were um, were east germans so we went to east germany on that trip for a week and we then met a couple of people there who had western west germans who had come there um, to kind of well to management positions really Um, and the way the way they spoke about the east um, made some of my colleagues cry um, because they were really so um, well, as you say, talking down, disrespectful. Um, they hadn't really understood what was going on. Apparently, they didn't have an idea about you know the East. Um, like one guy said, "Oh, you know what? The East Germans—they're actually quite happy now that they are unemployed because they can actually at least fix their houses now." Mm-hmm um and repair the windows and stuff um and they are very lucky now because they can now buy bread in the shops and like i mean we never had a problem to buy bread you know so i mean there was this and 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 that really hurt um people so uh yeah i mean there were some instances where i felt that um it, it, it makes a difference whether you are east or west German.
1: Maybe we can uh, shift focus a little bit and and talk a bit about GDR culture and education. The uh, GDR had the great educational ambition to embed humanistic ideals, affirming progress across all sectors of society. So the idea that humanism was something that could be shared across society was really central to the pedagogy of the time. And of course, literature was seen as a very important vehicle in this regard. Now, I remember very well the cheap editions of East German classics because my grandmother sent them to me as annual birthday presents and I still have them on my bookshelves today. Um, However, the question is, to what extent did this humanistic idealism succeed?
2: Well, I don't think it really succeeded that much because, um, and it failed, I think, because it was, kind of embedded in that, in being politicized. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, for instance, I still remember when I um, did my A-levels, they indeed tried, my, my German teacher at the time, he indeed tried to portray Faust as a communist. Mm-hmm. And I had this long debate, you know, and he wouldn't let go. You know, he was like, no, Faust is a communist. Um, so everything was kind of intertwined with this ideology, this ideology. Um, and I think that's why it didn't resonate with people, you know, at the end, when I was like a, a teenager, people were laughing about it, you know, it, it just seemed so detached from reality. Uh, and people saw that. So yes, the, um, East Germany was a country of readers. Uh, so people read a lot, um, and, and, and there was a certain hunger for, for books really, um, some for distraction, you know, crime stories and, uh, you know, all, all that, um, but um, also, as you say, the classics, but this, this, this constant sort of um, uh, strive to put the ideology into everything, basically, I think um, destroyed um, the, the, the motive that you were describing. You know, they were always trying to build this, what they called uh, the new socialist human being. And that's why it had to be indoctrinated the whole time. And people were like, oh, come on, you know, this has nothing to do with the reality I see around me. So give me a break, kind of thing.
1: I would say that um, the position of the artist in GDR society was very different uh, compared with the West. One could say that art was certainly not commodified in the same way as it was in the West, and therefore it played a very different role. And of course, East German artists had to negotiate kind of a very fine line between, say, their artistic integrity and spaces of freedom on the one hand and uh, the threat of state censorship on the other. So could you uh, describe the role of the contemporary, I mean, uh, East German artists rather than the German classics in society? Did you read contemporary authors, East German authors, or were you very keen on on, on getting your hands on copies of American uh, literature or West German literature for that matter?
2: I think it's a bit of both, really. Um, So the the, the books that you could buy in, in East Germany were very varied, although, as you said, there was censorship. So um, uh, as I, again, you know, I mean, it had this ideological twist to it all the time, Uh, but um, you're absolutely right. The role of the artists was, I think, different because it was not so much um, like for the recipient, not only entertainment, but there was also as a reader uh, with, especially with contemporary literature, uh, which was like non- Um, uh, sort of the the entertaining, the non-entertaining, which was more um, serious, it was always about um, reading it through a political lens. And what we used to say and and we still say about that time is that we were very capable of reading between the lines. Um, So what you would now I think not understand or a West German reader would not understand what a a very simple sentence could mean to us at the time, you know. Um, And our authors were extremely capable of putting these things into the books, into their language. We understood it, and they knew how to put it. And that um, gave you a a very particular kind of um, relation to uh, literature, but also to theatre, you know. I mean, there were, you know, cheers, I can remember, (laughs) in theatres on like – for a sentence which today would just go unmarked at all, you know, Um, there wouldn't be any attention to it, but we were like, um, so uh, we were enjoying it so much because it was saying something, again, between the lines that was so uh, resonating with us so much. And the same for music, the same for films, you know, Um, and as you say, it was a very fine balance they had to find um, uh, in order to get uh, get away from, from censorship. So
1: arguably then readerships in East Germany were more attentive and uh, perhaps more tuned to the subtleties of expression. Uh, that's very interesting. Yeah. Could you perhaps recommend one German language novel in English translation preferably about life in the GDR or, if you wish, the period before, during, and after the fall of the wall? Because I'm sure that our listeners would be very keen to kind of read a book that depicts this period.
2: There are quite a few books um, about the, the time, um, but the big sort of what they call the Wende Roman. Right, uh, the novel that really de- de- describes what was going on. I think the 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 one has not been written yet. To me, I think um, uh, oddly enough, there are a few books which I like um, very much. Most of them, unfortunately, not translated into English. Um, it's um, very something that I, I really regret um, that there's uh, there are so few translations of fabulous German books um, into English, but like one that I could recommend uh, would be Maxim Leo. Um, It's called Red Love, the stories of an East German family, um, which which is very nicely describing, you know, life in Berlin and uh, the grandfather being um, a stern socialist, and then the children going different ways and and everything. So um, a a very good um, description of what was happening. Uh, another one would be Eugen Ruge, In Times of Fading Light. Um, but it's all kind of set in, in East Germany. So it's it's not that much portraying the, the, the changes and the life after that. Um, and then there are a couple of books, which I, I think are not translated. Like one I love is by Thomas Brussig, um, Wie es leuchtet, a great book. Um, uh, very funny as well. Peter Richter, 8990, a very nice book as well. Uh, One that I recently read, um, and she wrote it in 2014, and that kind of continues to the 2000s, um, is a book by Regina Scheer called Machandel, a beautiful book, and she kind of starts off in the 1930s and then goes on all the way to the 2000s, um, uh, set in East Germany, and then obviously, well, Obviously before, and then the whole Nazi time, and then East Germany, and then uh, re- uh, reunited Germany. So uh, a, lot of, a lot of other books I could recommend. Hopefully
1: some of these recommendations will be translated into English. Yeah.
0: 30 years have passed since the Wende, the turning point. A recent study by the Bertelsmann Foundation analysed shifting attitudes to German unity. It found that West Germans and Germans from a migrant background tend to refer to the events of 1989 and 90 with words such as reunification, Mauerfall fall of the wall, and die Einheit, unity, while East Germans prefer the term Wende, turning point. These words underline opposing experiences.
1: Maybe for the final part of this conversation, we can focus on on actually 30 years of German unity. And I'd like to uh, refer to a recent survey by the Bertelsmann Foundation, which analyzed shifting attitudes to German unity amongst East and West Germans and also Germans from a migrant background, which is a very uh, important addition, of course, reflecting the multicultural makeup of Germany today. But I suppose for the purpose of this conversation, let's focus on East Germans' perceptions of German unity and there is evidence of a significant generational gap between the older and the younger generations. Mm -hmm. For example, um, for the uh, younger East Germans, the memory of the GDR does not really uh, play a significant role anymore. In fact, for them, it is a historical period, which is as distant uh, as any other uh, historical period. And less than half of younger East Germans have ever discussed the fall of the wall with their parents. I was really surprised by this. Were you surprised
2: or are you surprised by this? Well, actually, no, not so much. Because when I remember uh, myself, when I was a teenager, how often did I talk to my parents about the war or with my grandmother about the war? You know, I mean, there was this kind of superficial interest um, but I didn't really dig in as deep as I did later on um, when I was you know, a bit older um, in my twenties, my uh, I think uh, when, I, when I became, or yeah, like teenage, 18, 19, 20 and that. Um, so I'm not that surprised really that the youngsters are not so uh, keen on talking about it or not asking. Um, people live in the circumstances they live in at, that, at the moment, so they live in the present and the present is just so different um also for the parents it's so very different and so i think um what we would need um is obviously more talk about it in schools so it should be a, a bigger part in the curriculum like when i look at my kids when they were in school there was a lot about uh the 1930s 40s you know the the nazi time but um there was basically nothing on on east germany so I think that needs to be changed so that people really get to know more about it because it's important to know about it. On the other hand, um, I think it's kind of good that the youngsters, they don't make that differentiation so much anymore. You know, like my kids also, they struggle to say, what was the East, what was the West, like in Berlin when we'd go around and stuff like that. And actually it's nice, you know, <laughs> they don't grow up with that with that um, divide in their mind then. So um, there's a bit of, good and bad in, in, in what you were describing, Bertelsmann found out.
1: Many East Germans today feel that uh, the GDR society was on the whole a much warmer society than West Germany. Yeah, this There's this kind of notion that it was East Germany was warm, whereas West Germany and unified Germany are colder. Could you comment on this? Why Why is this? Even though, you know, 30 years have passed, and and I suppose German unification is working, but why is there still this perception that, that that the GDR was really much warmer?
2: I suppose for me it has a lot to do with money, because money wasn't a, a differentiating factor in East Germany. Everybody was kind of uh, paid more or less the same money. I mean, you know, in 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 a certain in a certain way. Like for instance, my father, he was a, a vet. A veterinary doctor and our neighbor worked on a construction site, and they both basically came home with the same money. Now, my mom was a secretary; she obviously earned much less than my father, but she would earn maybe as much as um, you know someone in 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 a comparable um, uh, profession but um, but there wasn't that much of a social divide um, a social class divide in the newly built um, uh, high rises that you would find everywhere in East Germany in the 70s, 80s, people from all walks of life were living together. So you had the professor living next to the hairdresser, next to um, the cleaning lady, next to, you know, I mean, there was this big mix of people. And um, and I think, you know, there was also more sort of, cross-class marriage, if you can say that, right? So uh, there was no issue with a, a lady professor marrying a, um, a plumber or something, you know? So there was like more of a, of a, of a mix. And, and I think that the, the the fact that money wasn't like the big factor to draw a line between people from different walks of life was very decisive for that, you know, um, like life was normal, normal goods for daily life were very cheap for each and everyone. Um, and luxury goods were more uh, expensive, but then also very hard to get. So everybody was kind of in the same boat, you know? And I I, I think that together with what we were discussing about niches in society um, that p- made it Yeah, I I think created that impression that it was warmer. Also, there was a lot of solidarity in normal life. You know, people would help each other out. Uh, My father, as a vet, would cure our neighbor's dog, and uh, he would uh, fix our tap uh, and things like that. You know, so it's uh, there was a lot of support um, everywhere, and I think that was a huge, um, uh, yeah, a huge factor um, why why it feels like that. This uh, helping each other um, obviously also was um, in a certain way necessary (laughs) because, uh, you know, you might wait for ages for a plumber (laughs) to come around and fix your tap, right? So uh, there was also a necessity. Now, I'd like to ask you whether
1: you feel, looking back, you know, over 30 years of, of German unification, do you think that there is an area in which United Germany could have learned something from the GDR?
2: I feel that we could have um, used the interregnum better. Um, I think it would have been um, wiser to really give people the, the especially East Germans but also West Germans the chance to sit together uh, and discuss what they would want uh this united germany to look like and it might well have happened that they said yeah we just want to keep it the way west germany is and and we just want to follow suit but it might just have well has happened that um have happened that they would agree on uh looking at certain things um that might need to be changed you know i mean our constitution actually says that it will be revised once a unification happens. Um, and that was never done. Um, so it's something where I think uh, some of the, the problems that we have now in you know what, what you were describing in the Bertelsmann um, report there, uh, some of the problems that still exist that they might have been um, limited or uh, even avoided. Um, if people had the chance to really express their wishes for the future, as I said, we were talking about a third way uh, in East Germany um, and not about reunification at the time. So to bring these people into the discourse, I think would have uh, wouldn't have uh, uh, well been detrimental to the process. Let me put it like this
1: yeah that's 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 very interesting and i think it it explains it explains the long term ripple effects of this asymmetrical relationship which is largely perceived as a takeover of east germany mm-hmm. by west germany from an eastern perspective but perhaps now we can perhaps now we can have this conversation and make up for some of the mistakes and perhaps this conversation you know contributes to this like to finish on a light note by talking a little bit about um popular culture there was an east german rock band called the pudis which you know of course uh very well uh, because you played the pudis at last year's celebration of the day of unification now i'm not sure whether you really like the pudis can i ask you are there other bands that inspired you more than the pudis when you were young
2: um yeah i i have to admit um when I was uh, young, I mainly listened to West German radio and West German and watched West German television. So I was very much into West German music. So I was a big fan of Herbert Grönemeyer. Mm. Uh, and my granny used to smuggle um, the LPs, the vinyl, uh, from West Berlin um, to East Berlin, uh, because as a pensioner, she was allowed to travel uh, 30 days a year to West Germany. So she would bring those in um, but uh, I, I, I really wasn't very much into East German music. So, um, and the Poodies I didn't particularly like indeed. Uh, if there was a band that I liked and, and, and that I actually grew to like even after more after um, reunification, uh, it, it would be silly. Uh, mm. A great, uh, great uh, band with a wonderful singer. Unfortunately, she died uh, not so long after reunification. She had cancer, unfortunately, but uh, great music there. So that, um, mm-hmm. I, I would say if I have to pick one, then it would be silly.
1: I'd like to come back to the Poodies nevertheless, uh, because after the vendor they released a great album, in my view, called Like an Angel, Wie ein Engel. And actually they played uh, from that album, I think at the Brandenburg Gate in 1991. And there was this very, very famous song called Was bleibt, What Remains? which is of course inspired by uh, the novel of the same title by Christa Wolf, a really renowned East German writer outside Germany. And Christa Wolf would be well known by many of our listeners. So can I ask you picking up this title, 30 years after unification, what has remained of the GDR for you?
2: I have to admit, I find it uh, difficult to answer that question because it's very complex. Um I'd say memories remain, personal memories of the time. The socialization that I went through made me the person who I am, and that's true for at the time 17 million people. We were brought up in a very different, very specific setting um, that made us who we are and what we believe in and what we the, the, the way we see the world um, and those people are still around and they also pass it on to their children. So it's not completely gone because, you know, we, we teach our children in a certain way and, uh, and the way was kind of far formed by how we were brought up under those circumstances and what is important to us and what isn't important to us. So I think that that stays, but the overall system obviously is, has failed And honestly speaking, um, I think very few people, me included, would want the old system back. (laughs) So I think uh, uh, unification really was a big gift. Um, And we have talked about it. Uh, Certain things could have been handled better. There's no doubt about it. But uh, all in all, I think we are really blessed um, with a peaceful unification of, of our country, and there is still a way to go um, to even grow grow up together. Somebody said uh, recently, you know, we don't have to grow together. Difference is fine, but we have to grow up with each other and together. So I, I thought that was a really nice way of describing it. So so let's try to do that um, together. <laughs>
3: Kann auch Anfang sein, man sollte nicht an alten Zeiten kleben. Doch ich bin kein Ignorant, der zu schnell vergisst. Das, was einmal war, ist auch mein Leben. Vieles habe ich nicht erkannt, manches auch versäumt. Ich habe immer was gefunden Träume vom Scharaffenland Habe ich auch geträumt Als ich ihn kam, war schon verstanden